Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Amen. Well, good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? Hope everybody had a good Easter. I can't hear you if you're cheering or not for your good Easter, but I believe that you are. Um, I'm so excited that we uh, get to meet here today. I'm so uh, thankful for technology. Again, uh, thank you to Biggs for being able to to put all this together. We couldn't do it without you. Um, And uh, I I know I can tell you personally, I know from the rest of of the teaching team and the leadership team, uh, we, we long so much to actually be with you. We long so much to not even shake hands again, to, to, to hug each other again. And I think that, that uh, this time that we have spent apart will make the reunion uh, just so unbelievably sweet. And so I'm really excited about that. But uh, this morning we're going to continue in our Here's the Point series. And really the, the, the point of this series, no pun intended, is to try and get a general overview of the Bible with, with the centralization around Jesus. And we tried to do that in just three weeks, uh, which was a tall task. Uh, to accomplish. But the first week, uh, uh, my brother uh, talked about the integrity of Scripture, uh, how we can uh, trust Scripture. Um, And because of that, we can also trust that the prophecies about Jesus were written at least 100, if not 200 plus years before Jesus was born, over 350 prophecies, and he covered about five of them. We gave you resources to study the rest of the 345 or however many it is. And and Jesus is, is literally a mathematical impossibility. And so the most logical conclusion then is that Jesus was God. Jesus was the Messiah. And that was, that was an amazing message. So I encourage you to go back and watch that and listen to it on our podcast. And then last week, uh, week of course, was Easter. And Heidi preached an amazing message. And, and the, the first message was kind of about the prophets and the Old Testament. Heidi's message was about kind of the life of Jesus. And I think she brought some uh, uh, really enlightened uh, points out of that, mainly that Jesus can do a lot with an empty room. Uh, a lot of miracles, a lot of things happen in empty rooms. And I thought that that was an amazing direction to take that message. So we're going to continue with our third and last week in our Here's the Point uh, series today. So I'm going to pray and we have a lot to get through as always. So buckle up. We're going to get started. Jesus, we are so thankful for your son. We are thankful for the cross and and what that means. And we're thankful for, for the tomb that our sins can rest in the tomb and they can stay there. And we're thankful that you do amazing things in nearly empty rooms. We thank you that the tomb is now empty. Jesus, you are alive. You are reigning in glory. God, help us to come alive with you. Help us to live in that. So Father, this morning, may may we run to you. May we fall fully into your grace. Not into our own provision or into our own strength. May we fall into you. May we stop hiding because our hearts need surgeons our hearts need the great physician and God in times like these we also need a close friend 
So God, would you draw near to us this morning? Would you be that to us? Would your spirit invade every living room, every car, uh, every place where, where anybody is watching this? Would your spirit invade in this moment? And would you enlighten our eyes to the words of the gospel? And God, may we step up to the challenge of expanding the gospel. God, be with us in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. So like I said, in week one, Jesus was prophesied about. We uh, uh, kind of covered the, the Old Testament, uh, and uh, my brother covered the prophecies. And then last week, uh, Jesus finally showed up. He died, and then he rose again. And so this is where we find ourselves in the timeline of God's rescue mission for the earth. You see, the disciples have just seen Jesus perform all of these miracles and, and call many people to himself and they thought that the Messiah was just getting started. They had this vision that the Messiah would come at that time, liberate them from the Romans, liberate them from the Roman occupation, and, and start the eternal kingdom. And so the one that they had been waiting for, the one that, that they had known 350 prophecies about, they thought that he was finally here, and they were jacked. But then the Romans killed him, and hope was lost. They were confused, some began to, to doubt, some denied him, all of them grieved, and they were confused. You see, the Messiah was supposed to come and liberate them, not leave them to make sense of the mess. But then those wonderful words that we heard last week, God does amazing things in nearly empty rooms, the tomb is empty. He is risen. So the disciples see Jesus and he is risen and they think, you almost got us, Jesus. You almost fooled us. But you're back. Finally, we can start to be liberated from the Romans. We can finally start this eternal kingdom and we get to walk with you forever. And the disciples, again, were so jacked. Well, kind of, Jesus says. You see, I have to go away again. But one day I will return. And so Jesus leaves again. And what now? What do we do now? See, the last thing that Jesus said to his disciples was to go into all the nations and tell them about the gospel. Go into all the nations and tell them about his gift of eternal life. You see, I think we find ourselves in a very similar situation that, that the disciples did. See, we find ourselves isolated and anxious. We find ourselves not really knowing what the next day holds. You see, the disciples had an idea of what the rest of their lives were going to be like with Jesus. They spent three years with him, just walking with him, doing miracles with him, doing ministry with him. We've spent uh, five years now as a church, and we, we thought we had an idea of what church was supposed to be like. We thought we knew what we were doing, but the script has changed. So now what? Jesus is alive, but he's not here. We've been saved. We've been liberated, but last I checked, Caesar was still king. Our world was still broken. And we still need a savior. And we still have a mission. And so what I've been tasked with this morning is really to talk about the expansion of the church. 
So we talked about the, the prophecies about Jesus, we talked about the life of Jesus, and now we're talking about the expansion of the church and how that expansion happened, and I believe that, that, that how it happened is so important for today and, and unbelievably applicable for today. And so I'm going to put all my cards on the table at the beginning. Everything in this message, and frankly, everything in this life and the next life is centered around this one single point. So here's the point, church. Jesus is our highest treasure. Jesus is our highest treasure. You see, the gospel advances. The city changes. The world changes when Jesus is our highest treasure. Jesus had two parables that directly addressed this issue of, of what we treasure. And they're some of the shortest, but frankly, some of the most profound. I believe that, that these were the passages that, that God initially led me to when I was preparing this message. So Matthew, uh, the, we find these uh, parables in Matthew 13 starting in verse 44 through uh, verse 46. And Jesus says this, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and then covered up, and then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great price went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now the context of these parables is Jesus is really only talking to his closest disciples. Uh, this is very early on in Jesus's public ministry and he had kind of spent the entire day talking with a large crowd uh, and teaching them through parables. And so after the crowd kind of disperses, Jesus brings uh, the disciples back to himself and he kind of explains uh, uh, the parables that he has been telling. And he also tells the disciples themselves, just the 12 and maybe a couple others, some parables just for them. And so Jesus just kind of gets done explaining that um, at the end of the age, the sons of God will be separated from the sons of the evil one, those who have lived in rebellion to God. And so this is the context where God explains that the kingdom of God is like a man who finds a treasure in the field and gives up everything to have that treasure. You see, Jesus is saying to his disciples, you want to know what the kingdom of God is like? You want to know what counts when it comes to the end of the age when those who belong to me will be separated from those who do not belong to me? Do you want to know what it's like to be part of the kingdom, to understand what the kingdom is like, to walk out what the kingdom of like is, is like? If you want to know what that's like, it's like a man who finds a treasure in the field. And he sacrifices everything for that treasure. So what is Jesus saying to his disciples here? What is he asking us this morning? He's asking, what am I worth to you? Am I worth everything? Am I your highest treasure? Or maybe we can ask this question in a different way. What are you willing to lose and still feel like you have everything? What are you willing to lose and still feel like you have everything? Are you willing to lose your car? Crowy boys, if you're watching, are you willing to lose your truck and still feel like you have everything? What about your home? If your home is taken from you, do you still feel like you have everything? What about your job? I mean, hello? I know there's got to be somebody out there that has lost a job or maybe cut down hours or, uh, you know, whatever's going on in this craziness. Do you still feel like 
you have everything. What if you lose your family or you lose your health or maybe you lose your reputation? Do you still feel like you have everything? What if you lose your earthly freedom like we are all losing right now? Do you still feel like you have everything? You see, here's the point, church. The gospel advances, the church expands when Jesus is our highest treasure. And so how does Jesus being our highest treasure fit into this season of suffering? And how does that fit into the expansion of the church? And so what we're going to do is we're going to kind of go back to, to where we left off in our story of God's rescue mission for the earth. So after Jesus ascends, we find the disciples waiting in an upper room for the Holy Spirit to come, just as Jesus commanded them. Jesus left and he says, I'm going away, but I'm going to send you the helper. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. So you need to go up in this room and you need to wait until he comes. And so the Spirit comes and he empowers the disciples and the followers of Jesus to, to speak in tongues and to prophesy. And then the namesake of our church, Peter and the rest of the, the disciples step forward and Peter delivers the first sermon of the early church. And 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus that day. That's a good day at church. And I believe we'll see more of those good days in the future. And if you know anything about early church history, then you know from that point on, the, the, the message of the gospel spread to all corners of the world in a way that was unencumbered, unchecked, and unrestricted. You see, the followers of Jesus didn't even really have to try and convert people because they were preaching an attractive message, and they never offended anyone, and never upset anyone, and everyone loved them. Correct. Wrong. The truth is the early church suffered. The truth is the church was persecuted in every way and at every turn. And nothing about being a Christian was easy. See, if there was one thing that followed most Christians in the early church, it was suffering. It was hardship. It was difficulty. And if you want examples, you have to look no further than the disciples. Every disciple other than John was brutally martyred for the sake of the gospel. And even John, some legends say that before John was exiled to Patmos, they actually tried to kill him. They tried to dip him in a vat of boiling oil. And then when that didn't kill him, they just said, I will just ship him off to Patmos. But the disciples either died by crucifixion, either upside down or right side up or in an X configuration. Some of them were stabbed repeatedly with swords. Some of them were run through with spears. Others of them were beheaded. And they were all killed explicitly for the fact that they were Christians and they refused to denounce Christ as their Savior and King. Yet despite the brutal fate of the church leaders and the general contempt of Christians uh, by the government and by the Jewish leaders of the day, the early church exploded. And I would say not just despite that, but because of it. You see, what started as small groups meeting in homes, kind of on the fringes of the Roman Empire, by about 250 AD, some historians say that uh, the Christians actually started to become the majority in some of the outlying cities of the Roman Empire. And this is before Constantine. This is before that the Roman Empire actually embraced Christianity as their uh, official religion. Rome was still a pagan nation. And by 250 AD, about 200 years after uh, Christ left the earth, Christians are starting to make up the majority in some outlying regions of the Roman Empire. And so what I want to explore today is why does the church expand most especially in times of suffering? Not just despite suffering, but because of suffering. 
What's the recipe there? How does that happen? See, most revivals and, and most expansions of the church come out of periods of suffering. And so how does the church grow because of suffering? And I believe it all boils down to one single thing. Any guesses what that is? Jesus is our highest treasure. See, when I was thinking three months ago when, when I volunteered for this message, when I was thinking about how the church expands, it, it was this. It was that in the face of suffering, Christians view our suffering in light of the fact, through the lens of the fact that Jesus is our highest treasure, and something about that causes the church to expand. It causes the church to explode. And so why does that happen? See, it's because when Jesus is our treasure, you can take my car, you can take my house, you can take my freedom, you can take my family, you can take my finances, you can destroy my reputation, and I still have everything because I have my highest treasure. I still have Jesus. You see, my greatest possession is not something you can take away. It's not something you can corrupt. My greatest treasure is not something that you can kill because my treasure already defeated death. My treasure is seated at the right hand of God waiting for me in glory. And so, yes, life may be hard. I may be hurting right now. It may seem like I have nothing, but I still have everything. I still have Jesus. You see, when Christians encounter suffering in their own lives or, or when they see suffering in somebody else's life, they react in a way that's different than the world does. It's because their greatest possession, their greatest joy, the foundation that they stand on is untouchable and incorruptible. So what this does as Christians is it frees us from the cares of this world. It causes us to view somewhat insignificant things that, that others would uh, uh, see as massive sacrifices. It means that in times of suffering when the rest of the world is hoarding toilet paper and hand sanitizer, Christians act in a way that is selfless instead of selfish. And bear with me, this may seem silly, but sometimes the silliest, most, most insignificant things can, can reveal something quite profound. So if this ho hits home today, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. This one's on you. If, if you went out and bought five years worth of toilet paper and your intention was not to give away four years and nine, nine months worth of that toilet paper to somebody that needed it, that's a problem. And you may say, I guess just toilet paper, who cares? Well, I care and I think God cares. Because as small and insignificant as that seems, that shows that in that moment, your trust was in your own provision. Your treasure was in your own ability to provide. And that shows that Jesus was not your highest treasure, and it's just toilet paper. You see, as Christians... When Jesus is our highest treasure, we think of all the things that we can still give up. We think of all the things that we can sacrifice and serve other people. We don't think of all the things that we need to keep and take. Because when our treasure is Jesus, we have so much that we can lose and still have everything. And this is how the gospel has always expanded, and I believe that this is exactly how the gospel will expand out of this season. You see, when, when Christians have Jesus as their highest treasure, it causes this sort of open-handed, sacrificial generosity saying, I don't get to hold on to these things anyway, and frankly, I don't have to because I still have everything that I need. I still have my greatest treasure, and nothing can take that from me, so here. 
That's how the gospel expands. See, during the early church, it would not be uncommon for entire cities of, of Rome to be hit by a plague. And during these outbreaks, sometimes 20 to 30% of the population would die. So even though the Roman Empire was one of the most advanced uh, uh, civilizations up until that time, sanitation still wasn't great. They didn't have great medicine. And so when an outbreak would occur, it would spread very quickly and a lot of people would die. But those that had the means would actually flee into the country. They would flee to their houses in the hills or if they had enough food stored up, they would just go out into the country, build a tent, camp out for a while and leave those who were poor and sick and dying to fend for themselves. And if you didn't have the means to go out of the city, you would have to lock yourselves inside, avoid other people and hope for the best. Sound familiar to anyone? But historical reports tell us that there was one particular group of people that chose to stay in the city. And they chose to stay and care for the sick and for the dying. Any guesses as to who that would be? It was the Christians. See, while everyone else was fleeing the cities in fear or secluding themselves in their houses, trying not to come in contact with everyone, the Christians stayed by choice. And historical accounts would actually suggest that, that this response of Christians to suffering was the greatest catalyst for the expansion of the gospel. This in itself. Yes, the church grew because of miracles. Yes, the church grew because of people directly declaring the gospel and just sharing the gospel in a one-on-one -on -one situation or preaching. But historical accounts would say that the greatest catalyst for people actually coming to the faith was Christians' response to suffering. See, what easier way to display the kingdom of God than to seemingly sacrifice or risk everything for the sake of someone you don't even know? What clear display of Jesus? And I'm sure these Christians were asked quite frequently, why, why are you doing this? Why are you risking everything just to be with me? To which the, the Christian would likely reply, because I've found something that's worth everything. And no sickness, no disease, not even death itself will ever be able to take that from me. And so that means I can be here with you. What a powerful display of Jesus. What a powerful display of the gospel. And Paul was, was addressing this, this fact about being able to sacrifice everything when he penned Philippians 3. Paul starts Philippians 3 with a, a list of things that, that he had going for him. He had his, his heritage, his uh, religious status, his education, his uh, financial status, his reputation, his notoriety amongst the Jews. And these are all things in Jewish culture that literally would have put Paul at the top of society. He was the cream of the crop. He had reputation. He had followers that, that followed his teachings. And all of these would have been seen and viewed in Jewish culture as of extreme importance, as of paramount value. Yet Paul writes in Philippians 3, starting in verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as trash in order that I may gain Christ. You see, Paul had found a treasure of such great worth 
that he gave up what at one time would have meant everything to him, at one time would have been uh, seen by the people in his culture as having reached the pinnacle of existence. Paul said, yeah, my, my reputation was valuable, but Jesus is worth more. My status was valuable, but Jesus is worth more. My finances were valuable, but Jesus was worth more. I have found something of surpassing worth. And Jesus didn't say all of those things and and act that way because uh, uh, he got earthly blessings in return for saying that. Paul was not unacquainted with suffering. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 11, verses 24 through 27. Paul says, I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, in danger from my own people, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and in hardship through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure." That's quite the contrast to the life that Paul was living before Jesus. Yet despite all of of these things, Paul says in Philippians 1, that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. See, to to live means that, that I continue to suffer for the gospel, but that's okay because I still have my treasure and I value my treasure so much that I want to be able to give that treasure to you. I want you to have this as your greatest treasure. And so it's good that I'm here, even though I'm suffering for the gospel. But Paul says, even if I die, it's even better because I get to fully experience my treasure. I get to open it. I get to bask in its glory. I get to look at every facet of its eternal beauty. See, at Church uh, 214, you hear us talking about what an abundant life is. And an abundant life has very little to do with material possession. An abundant life really comes from understanding the currency of the kingdom, which is the grace and treasure of Jesus. That's the currency of the kingdom, the grace and treasure of Jesus. You see, Paul lived an abundant life, not because he had a lot on this earth, but because his treasure was Christ. His greatest gain was Jesus. You see, if we can live our lives in light of the fact that we have already attained eternity and that we already have possession of the greatest treasure that we will ever possess, then nothing can really touch you. If we live our lives in light of the fact that we have already attained eternity and that we already have possession of the greatest treasure that we will ever have and that treasure cannot be taken from us, then nothing can really touch you. Jesus said, don't fear what can kill the flesh, fear what can kill the spirit. And so what this does is this makes the suffering Christian so dangerous for the gospel. Because you can take my house, you can take my friends, you can take my job, you can take my reputation and my finances. Heaven forbid you take my wife and kids from me, but as much as I hold them dear, Jesus is my treasure and you cannot take that from me. There is nothing that you can do that can rob me of my greatest treasure. That makes the suffering Christian dangerous for the gospel. See, Paul can say that he counts everything as loss, not because he, he hung on to what this world says was abundance, but because his abundance, his abundance was in heaven. His abundance was Christ. 
So why is suffering such an important part of the Christian's life, such really, I would say, an essential part? How does, how does suffering directly affect uh, uh, the Christian? And I, yes, I believe that God promises good things for his children. I believe he blesses his children and know how, knows how to give good gifts to them. But I believe that there's also a certain amount of suffering in each Christian's life that God has purposed to turn around for good and to, and to mold us and shape us and to refine us. See, because God, like a good father, knows how to discipline those that he loves. And he chastises every son and daughter that he receives. That's Hebrews 12. Jesus even said to his disciples in Matthew 10 that he was sending them out as sheep among wolves. And that rarely goes well for the sheep. Jesus also says in Hebrews 10 that, 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 that the disciples, he's talking directly to them. He says, I'm sending you out as sheep among the, among the wolves. By the way, you're going to be hated by everyone. And when you get persecuted, not if you get persecuted, but when they persecute you, this is what you're supposed to do. So what is the purpose of suffering? And I think it's this. I think that suffering or loss exposes what we trust in and exposes what we value, just like the toilet paper. Suffering exposes what we trust in and it exposes what we value. You see, if something is taken from you, your reaction to that thing being taken from you reveals where your treasure is. It exposes what you value. And so if you lose your job, if you lose your house, what's your reaction? If you lose your health, what's your reaction? If your reputation is drugged through the dirt, what is your reaction? If your relationship or your marriage ends, if you lose your freedom, how do you react? Do you become bitter? Do you become jaded or angry? Or do you become depressed? Do you isolate yourself or do you become anxious? Now, I'm by no means saying that we should never hold any of those things in some value, nor do I think that we should never mourn the loss of health or the loss of a loved one or never have fleeting moments of stress. Frankly, those things are part of being human, and it's also part of what draws us to Jesus. But your ultimate reaction to your suffering reveals what you treasure. It reveals the sort of foundation that you have been building your life on up until that moment of crisis. The question is, are you, is the entirety of your life resting on the eternal, unshakable, and, re and irrevocable treasure of Jesus? Or is it resting on something else? Have you been building your life on your own finances, on your own reputation, on the security of your job? Have you been building your life on any relationship, even if it's a good relationship other than Jesus? Or is the entirety of your life resting on the eternal, unshakable, and irrevocable treasure of Jesus? See, seasons of suffering and hardship like the one that we were in reveal where our real trust is. It reveals what we truly value. So you can say that you trust God as, as a biblical concept, as, a, as a, uh, a biblical truth, and you probably do. You can say that God is good or God is faithful or God is in control, and you probably believe that as a biblical concept, but, but the, the reality is, is that biblical truths become biblical reality when our lives are intercepted by suffering. Biblical truths become biblical reality when our lives are intercepted by suffering. 
See, this is where head knowledge becomes heart knowledge. This is where head knowledge becomes, becomes heart-changing, life-changing transformation. And this is the purpose of suffering in the Christian life because like a crucible, it allows only the greatest treasure to remain and eliminates those things that are less useful. See, suffering brings clarity to that which is most valuable. And I, I know that uh, that has been the case in my life. Um, and I'm just going to get uh, really quite vulnerable with you here. I've told very few people this story. Um, I've been serving Jesus uh, in, in some form of leadership capacity uh, ever since I was 13. Uh, so for the past 16, 17 years, how old am I? 16 years. Um, and uh, I, I, if you would have asked me, I would have said, yes, I am all in for Jesus. And it looked like I was all in for Jesus. If you would have asked me, I would have said, yes, Jesus is my greatest treasure. That wouldn't have been a thought for me. And, and during high school, like uh, a lot of kids do, or maybe I'm the weird one and nobody else does, does this but me, but I started to build up this idea of what my thought or what I thought my life would be like. Um, and I thought I was building it on a foundation uh, of Jesus and what he wanted from me. Uh, and it turns out that I was building a house of cards for my own benefit. Um, because one day, uh, one of those cards didn't play out the way that I thought that it was going to. Um, and, and it brought the, the house of cards tumbling to the ground and it, it shook me, um, quite profoundly. And I thought that my treasure was Jesus. I, I thought that I had been building my foundation on him, but, but I, I began to realize that that wasn't the case because my foundation was so shaken. My foundation uh, felt like it had just gotten ripped out from under my feet. Um, and I really kind of spiraled down into a very deep and dark place. Um, Mom and dad, I'm sorry, I've never uh, told you this before, uh, but uh, I was really quite depressed uh, my first year of college. Maybe, maybe people noticed it, uh, but maybe they didn't know the extent of, of what I was going through. Um, I went into a period of very deep depression uh, while I was in college. And, and frankly, uh, during that time, uh, one of the greatest feats of motivation that I've ever had to do in my entire life was just getting my feet to hit the floor. It was just getting out of bed. And I think some of you uh, that have been through that can understand what that's like, how hard it is just to get out of bed. I I've honestly never had to do something uh, quite as hard in my life or muster up the same amount of motivation that it took just to get my feet to hit the ground. Um, and to, to make a long story short, uh, I got to a, a, a deep enough and dark enough place where I, I was uh, living at home and commuting to Bradley. And there were, there were many times, unfortunately, that um, while I was driving down 74 to Bradley, I, I had several legitimate thoughts that, you know what, um, I think this would be better if I just ran my car off the road. Um, I think that that would really help to solve some problems because I felt numb. I felt apathetic. I didn't feel like I could feel anything. And uh, so it made that, that decision seem like a logical one. Um, 
But it was in that moment of crisis that Jesus spoke to me and he said, Ike, I understand that you're hurting, but what are you going to do with me? Because I'm still here. He said, Ike, what are you going to do with me? Will you make me your greatest treasure? So if, if you're in that situation right now, if, if you feel like you can't feel anything, if you're apathetic, if you even feel suicidal, Jesus is saying to you right now in this moment, what will you do with me? I am right here. We can work through anything together. Just run to the Father. Fall into my grace. See, my, my heart had been in his sights long before my first breath. And when I ran into his arms in that moment, I was literally running from life, literally running to life from death. And so I beg you to make that decision this morning. Jesus' arms are open. They're open wide. His grace is sufficient for you. Run into the arms of the Father and fall into his grace. See, I believe God in his grace allowed me and frankly I believe purposed me to go through that suffering through that time of refining so that I could see that my 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 life that my treasure was not really him because if he would have allowed me to go further down that road it would have been so much harder to bring me back to himself and so God said no I'm, I'm gonna I'm going to intervene I'm going to intercept your life right now Ike because I need you to come back to me I need you to establish me as your greatest treasure and as a direct result of that hardship, my, my mission and my purpose in life is so much more clear. And frankly, compared to the way that I love and I treasure Jesus now, I barely even knew him before. And I have been serving him my entire life. You see, suffering exposes what we treasure. And it gives us the opportunity to refocus our lives on the truest and highest treasure, Jesus. And so church, let's use this as an opportunity. Let's use this as the gift that it really is. Because that God has given us the season of suffering as a wonderful gift to refine us, to confirm us, to, to, to uh, sift from chaff from the wheat so that we can reestablish him and confirm him as our greatest treasure. See, not only does suffering expose what we treasure, but it also reveals the treasure in us. It reveals Jesus in us so that people can see him. And this church, this is where expansion really happens. When people see Jesus in us as we are going through suffering or as we are encountering other people in their suffering. You see, when Christians suffer, we should, or people should see Jesus in us because we should suffer as Jesus suffered. Hebrews 12 says that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. And James echoes this in James 1 where he says, Consider it all joy when you face trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, when we suffer as Christians, we are to suffer in light of this completeness and this perfection that God is bringing about through our suffering. 
And so if during our suffering, our eyes are fixed on Jesus as our truest and our highest treasure, that will change the way that you, are in, you will endure suffering. That will reveal Jesus inside of you and people will see that and they will be drawn to that. That is how the church expands. It also, they should, people should also uh, see Jesus in our response to the suffering that is around us. What did Jesus do when he encountered suffering? He stepped into it. Jesus stepped into the mess. He stepped into the fray. You see, Jesus' highest relationship was, was his relationship with his father, and I believe that's very clear in Scripture. Jesus' highest relationship, the foundation that he built his earthly life on, was his relationship with his father and his obedience to his father. And so Jesus knew because of that that no leper, no cripple, no Samaritan woman, no woman with an issue of bleeding, no unclean person, no Roman cross, and no tomb could ever take that from him. And so what that did is that, that freed Jesus. It freed Jesus to give. It freed him to serve, to heal. It freed him to even be misunderstood and do things that people found rash and unconscionable because, frankly, it wasn't about them. It was about his relationship with his father. He could do that because he was free, because he was so secure in his highest treasure, his relationship with his father. The people in the early church that stayed to care for the sick and the dying, their security, their joy, their worth, the foundation that they built their life on was in Jesus alone. And so they were free to risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. This is why suffering is the greatest catalyst for the expansion of the gospel in all of church history. And I believe that the same is true today. You see, I believe that this season will usher in the greatest revival that this modern world has ever seen. And we have believed that that has been coming for such a long time. And I think that, that God has, has uh, taken the devil's plans and flipped it so hard on its head because I think that in this, in this season, in this moment, God has given his church a massive grace, a massive gift to refocus on who he is, to reestablish him as his treasure because through the suffering, things are getting swept away, things that we didn't need before. And it's exposing the fact that we have been building our lives on things that were not Jesus. So Jesus is saying, come back to me. Reestablish your footing on who I am. Reconnect our relationship. And accept me as your highest treasure. Because I have massive plans for what's going to come out on the other side of this. And I need you to be fully focused on who I am. And I need you to be fully committed to the fact that I am your greatest treasure. And even if you lose things, you still have everything. I need you to have that sort of open-handed, sacrificial generosity because I have massive plans for the church. And I want you to be there with me. I believe that's what Jesus is doing in this moment. And so, church, we need to step into that. We need to step into the plans of Jesus. We need to step into the fact that that people are suffering now, not right now. We need to admit that in some ways we are suffering and we're going through hardship and embrace that and let God work through that so that he can be your greatest treasure, so that he can start to get rid of some of the things that you don't need because you only need him. 
See, throughout history, when Christians encounter suffering, we do not shrink back, but rather we push forward in true freedom. Knowing that our treasure is Jesus, that our eternal uh, possession is secure, and that nothing can change that. Our measures of success here at Church 214 are the presence of Jesus and the freedom that he brings. And so if you want to be in the presence this morning, if you need freedom in your life, run to the Father. Fall into his grace. Embrace Jesus as your highest treasure, as your greatest desire, as something of surpassing worth. See, it's true freedom to be able to say, I count everything as loss. I'm willing to sacrifice everything for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. It's true freedom to be able to say, you can take everything from me and I'll still have my everything. So is Jesus your treasure this morning, church? Because suffering will come one way or another. Suffering has come. The question is, what will your response be? Will you step back? Will you isolate yourself? Will you become anger or bitter or depressed? Or will you step into the fray with full confidence, knowing that, that your freedom is in Jesus, knowing that your place is secure, knowing that your greatest treasure can never be taken from you? Will you step into the fray so that the world can see that your highest treasure and your greatest joy and your reason for living is Jesus? See, church, this one perspective alone that Jesus is my highest treasure, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is what put in motion the birth of the church. It's what has fed every revival since that time up until now. And that is the attitude that Peoria will look back on and say, because the people of Church 214 embrace Jesus as their highest treasure. That's the reason why our city is what it is today. This is what God is trying to do through our church. This is what God is trying to do for the, through the other churches in Peoria. This is what God is trying to do through the global church. We're all in the same situation. So he's saying, come to me. I'm your only hope. I'm all that you need. And if you embrace me, this city will look back and say, that's why. That's why we are what we are today. It's because people embrace Jesus as their highest treasure. And because of that, they were able to give sacrificially and extend the good gift of the gospel to anybody that they came in touch with. It will happen because the people of Church 214 said, I count it as loss. Only you, Jesus. You are my treasure. Let's pray. I feel like some of you may need to get on your knees right now. I think some people have been embracing things other than Jesus as their highest treasure and you didn't even know it until this moment. This is a gift God has given you. 
the season of suffering, as much as it may hurt, as much as it may be confusing, is a gift that God has given you right now. She's saying, come to me. I'm all that you need. I'm your greatest treasure. Just give everything up for me. And if you do, I will bring revival. If my people humble themselves and turn their faces toward me, I will bring revival. So church, let's embrace that. This morning, Jesus, we thank you for your son. We thank you that he gave all for us. And so now in return, God, help us to give all for you. Help us to understand that you are our greatest treasure. And that whatever comes in this life, whatever seasons may come, whatever suffering may come, that you are the rock that we stand on. Help us to understand that we have already attained eternity, that you are sitting at the right hand of the Father waiting for us in glory, but you still have a mission for us. We still have a purpose here on earth, just like Paul said, it is good that I'm here to live is Christ. God, may we live like Christ lived in full submission to who you are and with full sacrifice of ourselves so that your name is made great, so that your name is glorified. Not my own agenda, not my own purpose, not my own empire, but your kingdom that I'm willing to sacrifice everything for because I have found something of surpassing worth. God, may that be our heartbeat this morning and every day moving forward. May we step into what you're doing in this season, as hard as it may be, so that on the other side, Jesus, the treasure inside of us, will be revealed. So that the world will see that you, will, uh, that you are of surpassing worth. Do this in us, Jesus. Humble us. Bring us to yourself. Amen.